Hi everyone, just a note before we start. This episode includes discussion around some sensitive material and topics such as physical and mental abuse and sexual assault. This extraordinary woman called Elena arrived in, in my office and we sat and we talked for hours and hours. And I guess she must have decided to trust me because she told me what had happened to her. And it was the first time in my life that, as you say, Julia, I completely, I could see the whole journey, the whole picture, how this could happen, you know, and how standing at the water cooler, drinking with these people who she was working in an office with and listening to them say, well, they must know, they just get themselves, you know, they call it trafficking, but actually they just come here to have sex with our men and take the money. No, you, you could understand that there's this terrible, terrible destruction of, of, of her inner life. What had happened to her, listening to that, she had a huge reaction and she said, I just wanted all of them to know just for five minutes what it was like. Just for five minutes. Welcome back to Floodlight, a podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective. We're looking to raise awareness of modern slavery by sharing stories and speaking to interesting people that are looking to combat it in their own way. I'm Jules. And I'm Eugenie. And for the last nine years, we have been passionate about fighting against slavery in all its forms, wherever it's found throughout the world. There are currently more than 40 million people in slavery across the world today. That's more than any other time in human history. And those most likely affected are women and girls. This week, we caught up with the incredible Dame Emma Thompson, who I'm sure needs no introduction. She's one of Britain's most acclaimed actresses and winner of two Academy Awards, two Golden Globes, two BAFTAs and a Primetime Emmy Award, to name just a few. As well as her amazing work across our screens, Emma is a committed activist. She's worked with the Helen Bamber Foundation, a charity whose work is absolutely vital to care for survivors of trafficking and help them live their new lives to the fullest. We talked to her about that, times when she's encountered instances of modern slavery in her everyday life, and her son Tindy, who is a survivor of child exploitation. She truly is a remarkable woman. So here she is. Emma, thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, it's nice to meet you. Oh, it's my great pleasure. And thank you, as I said before, for keeping this um, perennially dreadful problem um, in people's minds and talking about it in a deep way. It's not very well understood still. No, and I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to start this podcast is because we wanted people to learn about it and know that people like you, but people like us, that anyone can get involved and use their voice to make a change. Absolutely, and and be aware as well of what's going on around them because, you know, the, the reason that trafficking is such a hugely successful uh, criminal business is because it's much easier to smuggle people than it is to smuggle arms or drugs, which is why it's sort of number one. And so you have to know what to look out for. And they're much, much more aware of that in um, and border patrols and stuff like that and, and at airports. But um, one of the most shocking things that I ever, ever experienced when I was investigating trafficking and getting to know uh, some people here who'd been trafficked was that the massage parlor around the corner from my house uh, was one of the places where my friend had been held prisoner and forced to 
um, to have to have sex with with to, you know was raped serially raped in this massage parlor round the corner from my house. Oh my gosh! I mean, that was an extraordinary thing to find out. Emma, what was your light bulb moment? The time when you first experienced human trafficking and that moment where you realize you can't unsee what you've already seen and you have to make this your mission to try and do something? Um, well, I have worked with a, a, an NGO called the Helen Bamber Foundation for a long, long time. I know we're going to talk about Helen a little later, but um, and Helen was still alive actually when um, that her investigations, because what you see, what had happened was she'd started an organization which was designed to help victims of torture. And um, when I was still doing stand-up comedy in my 20s, I was doing gigs that were raising money for, for instance, victims of torture from the Pinochet and Videla regimes in Argentina and, um, and Chile. And so I was learning about their work with um, refugees from that kind of violence. And around that time, trafficking was starting to make itself felt. Um, and certain people were turning up at the um, her first um, organization that couldn't tick the box. They couldn't tick the box. You have been tortured by um, agents of the state. Uh, they didn't fit into, um, as it were, the the boundaries set by that organization. And Helen said, yes, but nonetheless, they are victims of gross human cruelty and they need treatment and it's going to be complicated. And so she started a new foundation when she was, um, well, 80, uh, extraordinary. And um, I became their chair for a long time and now president of the of the uh, sort of patrons, um, celebrity patrons, for want of a better word. Anyway, um, some of the people that started to come through the doors of that organization had been trafficked and it, they're, they're, they were very hard to help because their sort of responses to any kind of authority had been so destroyed by what they'd experienced. Um, it was very difficult as well for them to express anything because of the shame involved in this kind of um in this kind of crime, um, funnily enough and oddly enough, it's the victims who feel the shame and not so much the perpetrators. Perhaps they've gone through that bit. Anyway, um, one day, a friend of mine who worked at the foundation helped to co-found it, um, Dr. Mike Korzynski, said to me, um, Em, I'd like you to meet someone because I think that she needs to tell a story and I think you'd be a good person to help her with it. And so um, this extraordinary woman called Elena arrived in, in my office and we sat and we talked for hours and hours. And I guess she must have decided to trust me because she told me what had happened to her. And it was the first time in my life that, as you say, Julia, I completely, I could see the whole journey, the whole picture, how this could happen, you know, and how standing at the water cooler drinking with these people who she was working in an office with and listening to them say well they must know they just get themselves you know they call it trafficking but actually they just come here to have sex with our men and take the money no you you could understand that there's this terrible terrible destruction of 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 her inner life what had happened to her listening to that she had a huge reaction and um and she couldn't speak 
And she had to leave, actually. She had to leave the office because she was um, in such a state. And Mike said to her, what is it that you would have wanted to say to them? And she said, I just wanted all of them to know just for five minutes what it was like. Just for five minutes. And this rage and this it communicated it to me to, to me so so strongly and and her story was so clear and told with such um clarity and insight very very clever woman um and now a very happy woman i'm glad to say we're married and with children and just you know who's come through it um but her journey was absolutely emblematic of the trafficking journey you know, as we talk and as I tell this story, I'm sure, you know, your listeners, either they know it already or you begin to understand how complicated this is, how clever it is, how difficult it is to get people out of the mindset that says you can't trust anyone, you can't trust the police. All your agency has been removed completely. Emma, you've used your platform as a world leading actress to speak out for so many years. And I remember you put together the Journey installation back in 2007. Um, and this project involved an exhibition of seven different shipping containers, each depicting elements in the life of Elena, a lady who was trafficked in Lithuania and whom you had the privilege of spending time with. It was so striking and moving. So my question to you, Emma, is how can we also raise awareness and shine a light on these important issues in a similar way to you've done? Well, I mean, I think this is how, you, you know, we can't, I, I know in one of the questions that you sent me, you said, do you want to make a, a film about it? And we have made short films and this podcast and the, con, the the containers, the exhibitions. These are very important ways because they're very visceral. Making, there have been films, fictional films made about trafficking. And I don't think that they serve genuine understanding very well because they're dramatic. They're so dramatic and they are often titillating, I'm afraid. Um, I think it's very difficult to tell that story uh, without those elements where you, you, don't re- you can't really connect and it makes you feel very helpless and often um, can engender feelings of sort of a kind of, well, helpless, helpless rage, really. And even though maybe there's, it's always some guy who's um, beat, beats the traffickers because he has skills or whatever. I don't think that fictional films about trafficking have, they may have brought it into the public eye, but I think it's too easy for people to forget drama in that of, of that kind. I think it's better to um, speak to people who've had that experience and get their stories up online and told so that you can really, really understand. You know, a proper human story of that kind is very complicated and um, and actually it's much more dramatic than any fictionalised account could ever be. You've been able to use your voice and your position. Do you find people in your industry are receptive to what you're doing and do you find that people like, not like, are like you? No, not everybody. I mean, I happen to have, um, I happen to be a sort of political human as well as a creative human. Um, I just always have been since I was very young. Um, you know, when I discovered the discovery of feminism when I was 19 was hugely, hugely important um, and changed my life. That moment of suddenly and blindingly 
seeing and reading those books with that um, through that prism was um, it changed my life. It changed me forever because I suddenly realised that um, I did in fact live in a patriarchy and that everyone everyone I'd been reading was was male, white male, and I, I you know it's just sort of overwhelming really so you know we're all part of this ghastly un, unbalanced system that's weighted so much in one direction that's one of the reasons why we're in the deep shit that we're in because you know we have only had this voice and nowhere is that more obvious than the world of human trafficking and modern slavery and yes men and women are affected but it's women and children that make up most of the numbers. I'm afraid so, yeah, absolutely. With sex trafficking, it's well into the 90%, obviously. Um, and domestic servitude, again, you know, they're easier to cow, they're easier to control, um, uh, and and they're easier to smuggle. Well, yeah, we always talk about how you can smuggle and reuse a human several times over, but you can't do that with drugs or weaponry. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, how, when you've been working for 20 years or longer in this field, do you stay hopeful? Because we love talking to you because you make us feel hopeful about what we can do and change. And I love the fact that we could put the journey on again, maybe. Um, but how do you sort of stay hopeful? Um, well, hope is a thing with feathers, isn't it? It's a strange thing. Um, I think that being alive... Is all it is. You know, when you get up in the morning, there's all sorts of ways in which you could feel utterly depressed and crushed by the weight of the world's problems and the burden of something as dreadful and seemingly hugely ineluctable as trafficking. But the only way round it is to do something. Um, perhaps not all the time, I'm not active all the time, but it's always a sort of thread, isn't it? And I expect it is with you. You're always sort of, it's always in your mind and therefore you're capable of changing things, um, yes, in small ways, but actually it's the it's the increments that count. The more people that know these stories, the more people will be able to see and suddenly go, oh, wait a minute, that that's not right. That doesn't feel right. And the more people we will be able to protect. And Emma, I would love to hear more about your son, Tindy, and how his story and his journey has played into your role as an ambassador for Helen Bamber and, and beyond. Um, well, yeah, um, actually, I met Tindy through another organisation that I support and work with um, called the Refugee Council. And um, he was, as you know, a... Uh, kidnapped as a child and forced into the militia in Rwanda and he um, got to the UK after horrible experiences um, when he was just 16 and so I met him when he was 16 and actually he came to Wales for his 17th birthday which is December um, at uh, this this party for the, from, for the Refugee Council and and it was one of those strange things. I do think human beings are very mysterious. We do have make connections with one another. If we're lucky enough to meet 
people from very, very different places, we often find that there are deep connections and bonds between us and that they're not necessarily created by shared culture um, and shared visions, shared shared anything that they, you can be a completely come from a completely different background and be terribly similar. Um, I think that's one of the great, uh, well, the greatest things about humanity actually, and one of the great powers in our um, sort of battery of things that we need to counter racism and misogyny and homophobia, etc., is to understand. How extraordinary are the things that bind us and very powerful. Anyway, Tindy and I had one such connection, um, which slowly grew into um, a mother-son relationship, um, which is, you know, uh, with my daughter, the most precious thing in my life. And, um, And he understands, obviously, the processes of, kidnap and abduction very, very well, and um, was very close to Helen Bamba as well, and um, and enormously helpful to quite a lot of the refugees who ended up at that foundation. So he's always been a very much a part of it, and we've travelled together as well and, and learnt a lot about life in places like Myanmar and Liberia, and um, so we've done work on... on, on uh, all sorts of areas of human experience together um and and that's been fantastic to share that with him both of your children are massive activists aren't they and passionate in i think your daughter works for greenpeace well she doesn't work for greenpeace Sorry. but she has um um i wish she would actually but it's probably quite difficult to get a job at greenpeace no she actually wants to act um, oh. And that, 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 what can you do? Um, I, I'm so whatever makes her happy. Um, but she'll also be very active, I think, all her life because she's always been surrounded by people who've been talking about about what we like to call issues. But it's such a terrible word, isn't it? But yeah. just about the reality of human life, you know. And one of the realities is climate change and one of the realities is trafficking and um and one of the realities is child soldier soldiering you know as well as you know bake-off um these things <laughs> subsist and exist side by side and and that's the important thing to remember that you know we're not surrounded that everything in is, is in balance in the universe it's just that there are some things you need to just you do need to shift I wasn't expecting yeah. you to say that. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, I love your your little team unit. Um, you four, and obviously your husband now, like the greatest ballroom dancer in the world. Uh, well, I think he'd argue <laughs> with that. Um, I have to say, Yuji and I were rather nervous about interviewing you today, yeah. a sort of a professional actress, and we us to- trying to fumble through a podcast, not knowing how to work a microphone. Um, but you've made it incredibly easy, and you're very disarming and easy yeah. to talk to so thank well, you we also got really overexcited about meeting you because of we have just watched Cruella 15 times <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good film oh thank you very much it was jolly good fun to make I bet that act that um character yeah. must have been so much fun it was so much I'll, I'll leave you with one funny story um just just to, to lighten your load a moment um 
we were shooting one day in, on Sunday in the centre of London and there was a, a protest on. And so Viv, my extraordinary PA, who uh, kept, keeps me alive when I'm doing jobs like that. Anyway, we were on our way to the set and the driver, our driver just couldn't find a way through. It was extremely hard and we were getting, it was getting very late and I was very worried that we were going to be late. There's nothing worse than turning up late on a film set and keeping 350 crew people oh. waiting. You Can you imagine the yeah. horror of that? Anyway, um, I said, come, we better go on the tube. So in a dressing gown, slippers <laughs> and a wig, one and a half feet tall wig, and all that makeup, I got on the tube. We thought, oh, it's Sunday morning, there won't be anyone on it. It was absolutely rammed, rammed. And we got out at Covent Garden and I said to Viv, it's nothing extraordinary, nobody took a blind bit of notice. I think they thought I was a drag act on their way home. Oh my God, that's funny. Nobody stared, nobody pointed, nobody said, excuse me, are you in need of assistance? Shouldn't you, <laughs> shouldn't you be with someone? Um, nothing like that at all. They were really amazing. No one cares. Please you've say you've, you've got a picture of that or Viv took a snapshot. No, we were both in such a panic about it. And when oh, the crew God. people found out that we were, especially production, found out that we, we were on the tube, they all had nervous <laughs> breakdowns. They thought, God, we'll never see them again. Oh, well, Emma, you're an absolute legend and thank you for everything that you do to inspire us and um, and all you do for Helen Bamber because they're an amazing organisation. So our listeners, please, you know, look at Helen Bamber Foundation and all the work that they're doing and um, follow Emma and hopefully we'll have journey for everyone to go absolutely. and look at again. Absolutely. We need to raise quite a lot of money and get the artists back, but can, it could be re, re, redone. It really could. I think we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Together. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Floodlight and a very big thank you to Dame Emma Thompson for joining us. Make sure you join us next week where we'll be chatting to Dr. Katie Robshant, a clinical psychologist and researcher about her inspiring work with conflict survivors in the DRC in Africa. You can also be an activist and join us in the fight against modern slavery by visiting our website, theantislaverycollective.org. And if you want to learn more about what we've discussed on today's episode, head to the show notes and follow the links. Our mission is to raise awareness about modern slavery, so please help us by sharing and posting about the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to Floodlight and please also take the time to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you about the show, your own activism and who you want us to speak to in the future. See you next week. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. <laughs>